Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org Hello and welcome once again to Daily Daft Differently. It's Jeremy Tomanowski and today we are studying Matkei Shabbat, page Yud Dalet 14. I mentioned that on the previous page, 13b, Yud Gimel Amuzbet, the Mishnah related that the Mishnayot we had just been studying were among those uh, laws instituted in the vote in the uh, attic of Rabbi Hananiah ben Chizkia ben Garon, at which Shammai outvoted Hillel on 18 occasions, or rather the, the house of Shammai outvoted Hillel, uh, the house of Hillel on 18 occasions. Um, the specific rules that we were talking about, if you remember, are the harchakot of not the, the distancing measures, the fences around the Torah, of not reading by an oil lamp, or uh, delousing one's garments by the light of a lamp on Shabbat, lest you burn uh, extra oil. Um, now, who are Hillel and Shammai? They are Avot HaOlam. They are the uh, the ancient sages, the the parents of the world. When when did the rabbis live? What is what is rabbinic history? Uh, the rabbis lived from roughly what we would consider in modern counting the year zero to about the year 500 or 550, maybe as late as 600, uh, when the Babylonian Talmud is concluded, and there are other terms for the rabbinic sages who followed them. Uh, the Second Temple Judaism, Second Temple was built about the 4th or 5th century BCE and lasted until it was destroyed in 70 CE by the Romans, was a time of great ferment. It was lots of different Jewish texts and different Jewish uh, uh, articulations of meaning, Many of them died out. They've left us uh, little fragments of books. Many of them died out. The Dead Sea Scrolls sect is one of those. Uh, at least one of them did very, very well for itself. Christianity was an ancient Jewish sect. It uh, it branched on beyond the Jewish people throughout the world, but they were an, they were a Jewish sect of Second Temple times. The one that won out among the Jewish people, obviously, uh, are those descendants of the people once known as the Pharisees, who became known as the rabbis. And it's very difficult for us to tell who exactly they were, when they lived, who among these stories refers to real people. Some of these stories might refer to um, to characters who, uh, who may not exactly be real people, or certainly very embellished characters. But among the early rabbinic figures who, who lived while the temple was still going on, let's call it around the year zero, uh, were two leaders known as Hillel and Shammai, and their students came to be known as Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai, and they are portrayed in rabbinic literature as constantly clashing. Hillel and Shammai themselves, our page says, only differed on three items, but their their students continually differed, and elsewhere the Talmud says that uh, it became so bad, so divisive, that it was as if they were teaching two different Torahs altogether. There's a famous and really quite wonderful story about rabbinic pluralism in another tractate, you'll get to it another time, that says that they fought for 13 years 
until a divine voice finally appeared in the study house and said, both of you speak the words of the living God. That is to say, both of you have some, some deep handle on truth. However, the law has to follow Beit Hillel, because we need to have, we need to coalesce around a certain set of shared practices. Uh, there is a tradition in Judaism that in the Messianic era, the law will follow Shammai. As if to say that, that we do practice according to Beit Hillel for the most part nowadays, um, but in some future era, it will be recompensed because Shammai also had a deep handle on truth. In general, Beit Hillel is portrayed as being gentler and kinder, Shammai a little bit more uh, insistent and strict. You can see why in this crooked world, we need a greater measure of kindness, but perhaps seen from the divine perspective in a more perfect messianic world, Shammai's uh, rigorous insistence on getting it exactly right might have, might have a better place. Uh, we mostly follow Hillel. There are a few things that we follow Shammai on, and many of you Perhaps everybody listening to this uh, broadcast has at least done once. Beit Hillel said that you should have three strings in the fringes on your garment. Your Beit Shammai said you should have four, and that is in fact what we have. So everybody who has put on a talis has actually followed Beit Shammai in something important. Now, our story, which we're opening today, says that Beit Shammai, as, as the story will climax in a few more pages, implies that Beit Shammai did something violent, confrontational, uh, embarrassing, and, and somewhat shameful to force their will on Beit Hillel. And they, there's some sort of act of violence. They, they stuck a sword in the door and said, nobody's getting out of here until we take this vote. Presumably a, a threat of murder if you don't, if you don't uh, uh, have this quorum and this vote. And they outvoted Hillel on 18 items. In a rhetorical flourish there, it says, it'll say a little bit later in our Talmud page, uh, in a few more pages, page 17, it'll say uh, that the day on which this happened was as terrible for the Jewish people as the day they made the golden calf. Now, most of the items that they argued about have to do with strictly matters of ritual purity. This is a category which really plays no part in our lives today. Even very, very observant people uh, are not operating under the category of ritual purity, which was a specific, which was a category specific to the temple. Even those laws surrounding menstruation, which are still practiced, uh, are not technically speaking matters of ritual purity. They, they come under a different uh, category. So many of these laws, admittedly, that we'll cover on the next couple of pages are quite hard to understand for modern people. There is uh, one, however, which is somewhat uh, more relevant. Uh, one of the things that Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai uh, voted on is, or that Beit Shammai outvoted Hillel on, was to decree that the scrolls of Bible books were themselves impure. The Talmud will explain that what that means is that they used to keep sanctified food together in the ark with the temple, with the Torah, and that, that led mice to come, and that was bad for the scrolls, and so what they said was that the scroll itself was ritually impure, and so you shouldn't put your food next to it, because that would make the uh, the food impure. Now, the, the problem with that explanation, how shall I say, is that it makes no sense. Um, it is. It certainly makes sense to worry that keeping food next to the to the Torah scroll would bring mice, 
But if that's the case, then why don't you just make a rule that you don't put food next to the Torah scroll, not that the scroll itself conveys ritual impurity to the hands of people who touch it. So I'm going to conjecture that the real motivation for this law is not exactly as the Talmud has it, just a practical matter to keep the scrolls clean, rather is to suggest that ritual impurity it does not mean bad. Ritual impurity does not mean something is bad or gross or, or, or to be anathematized. What it means is that it's really, really sacred and therefore uh, one shouldn't be touching it. You can see from all kinds of examples, such as the, the case of the red heifer or the scapegoat, that to touch something that has been sanctified conveys uh, impurity. So I think that what they're suggesting at a deep level, maybe even deeper than the than the later Talmudic rabbis even uh, fully understood, uh, is that the scrolls being this sacred are not to be touched. They are just as sacred as, or they are comparably sacred at any rate, to the temple accoutrements of another era. And that's why we don't hold the Torah with our own bare hands. It is both a practical matter, so we don't get our uh, oils and sweat of our fingers on the Torah, but also because... It, this is really, really special. And so, therefore, you don't hold it like you hold your keys and your wallet and your money and, and, uh, and all of those things of daily life. All right, thanks for learning your dollar with me. And I look forward to studying with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.